Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for June 25th, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Principalities and Powers, The Real Demons. In its heyday, Wednesday night, church was the only game in town. There were a few restaurants, and who could afford to eat out anyway on a Wednesday night? And there were those unwritten blue laws that extended to Wednesday night because that was church night. You know, you didn't do stuff on Wednesday night because it was church night. At Park Road Baptist Church, fellowship dinners could see 225 people, I am told, crammed into the fellowship hall that is now Milford Chapel. 225 people eating dinner there on Wednesday nights. When Amy and I became the pastors almost 17 years ago, we still had between 100 and 150 on Wednesday nights for dinner and discussion. Among our very first pastoral duties, I remember seeing a line coming out of the chapel and snaking around and all the way down the corridor as people were waiting in line for the food to begin. Inside what is now the office of the Ark of Mecklenburg, we introduced ourselves to Bill and Billy Earthman, Pat and Betty Sigmund, John and Doris Moore, Al and Eileen Wilson, Vivian Privet, Hubert and Moselle Smith. I had a wonderful time walking down memory lane, thinking about all those people that I would see every Wednesday night sitting in that room waiting on dinner to begin. Most of them are not with us anymore. The faithful, young and old, never missed a Wednesday night, rain or shine. The food was pretty good and the discussions were invigorating. I don't recall the specific subject we were discussing on one particular Wednesday night, but I do remember making the comment that systems and structures, institutions, could be sinful. Mac Duncan, and I'm sorry Mac's not here this morning, you can tell him I talked about him from the pulpit today. Mac Duncan challenged me on that assertion. Russ, he said, I do not believe that institutions can be evil. Systems are inanimate. They don't make decisions. I believe people can be evil, but not the institutions they comprise. Well, 15 years later, I will stand by my response to Mac. I believe systems and structures, institutions and corporations and organizations of all kinds can be evil. In fact, I believe institutions can be more sinful than the people who form them and who supposedly run them. Now, make sure you understand that I understand people are wicked indeed. Our sins can be deadly and egregious, but systems and institutions of all kinds can be imbued with a structural evil that is hard to comprehend. Once they are created, systems take on a life of their own. They become larger than the sum of their parts. Institutions and structures of all kinds can be sinful. Actual institutions like corporations and governments, but also philosophical and ideological systems 
like racism and sexism. Most systems are not designed to be evil, quite the opposite. But even those whose purposes are noble, whose intentions are far from evil, can be twisted. In an upcoming sermon this summer, I want to talk about the narratives or myths around which cultures are built. Such narratives, like the myth of the rugged individual in our cultural consciousness, are also systems. And such overarching narratives and ideas and worldviews, despite their intent, can also become bearers of evil. Once such a structure is in place, it has a power that is hard to describe. Now, since he is such an easy uh, target to identify as the personification of evil, we could cite Adolf Hitler here. The evil he perpetrated as an individual is difficult to fathom, but even more difficult to fathom and harder to identify, maybe, is the evil of the institution that supported and even advanced his wickedness. Once the structure of the Third Reich was in place, an idea like the final solution could command its own power. Germany was as advanced a nation as the world had ever seen, culturally, technologically, intellectually, It was the home at that time of the greatest theological minds and institutions the world had known. Ironic, isn't it? But once the system was in place, it commanded, the system commanded respect. Tied up with the system was German nationalism, a great sinful system itself, nationalism. This idea that a nation itself deserves one's complete allegiance for the sake of being patriotic this is a dangerous powerful feature of all powerful empires whether ancient Rome or 20th century Germany or the United States in the present moment who could question Hitler's idea the identity of the nation and the coercive idolatrous power of the state were all some people could see There was also the power to conform, a power that governmental and institutional structures often abuse. And there was the inertia of inevitability and the helplessness that this brings. Even if someone recognized what was going on with the Fuhrer's evil intents, what could one person do? So Germany, the entire populace, became complicit in one of the world's genocides, one of the worst genocides human history has ever known. The people were complicit because they were silent in the face of Holocaust. Now some were aware and they remained silent. Many others were blissfully ignorant, enjoying the success of an economic engine that churned out comfort at great expense. Who wants to go asking questions when everything is going so well for us? It is hard to see the evil of the system when you are inside 
the system. And we are all inside lots of systems. Our church is a system. The church is a system. Our culture operates on assumptions and unwritten rules that are systems. Our government is a system. Our economy, a system. It's interesting and fascinating and sometimes disappointing to observe that in a church like ours, you can talk all the theology you want to talk. You can go poking the bear of orthodoxy with impunity, even with the encouragement of the congregation. But speak a word that sounds like a critique of our democracy or seems to question our holy capitalism, and you will hear about it every single time. It is the nature of the beast. The system will protect itself. Paul speaks to the church at ancient Ephesus of the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The King James calls this principalities and powers. And many Christians envision principalities and powers as an enduring battle of literal angels and demons inhabiting an unseen world, but a world that is at intersection with ours at every point. Such imagery, demons and angels battling, this imagery is popular in the collective consciousness of a two-religious nation, and our obsession with such supernatural beings shows itself in popular books and movies. Personally, I don't put much stock in angelic beings and invisible demons waging literal battles that impact our lives, but I believe fully in their power. In his acclaimed book, The Powers That Be, theologian Walter Wink says this, much of this interest in angels is as shallow as the, manif as the materialism it opposes. It is comforting to believe that we are all protected, but those guardian angels seem to be to work best in middle-class neighborhoods where there are plenty of resources. They don't do so well protecting children in ghettos. If we want to take the notion of the principalities and powers seriously, we will have to go back to the biblical understanding of spirits in all its profundity and apply it freshly our situation today. Principalities and powers. What does that mean? All institutions, according to Walter Wink, have a spirituality. In the biblical worldview, all systems bear God's stamp of divine approval. Institutions of all kinds are ordained to fulfill some divine vocation. Governments organize people and protect people. Corporations create products and services to enhance life. Ideologies and theologies give understanding and meaning and direction. Walter Wink says this is not just an antiquated idea, but there is a growing recognition of the spiritual dimension of corporate entities. 
For example, some business analysts have discerned the importance of a business's symbolic system and mission as clues to, the, to, the enhan to enhancing its efficiency. The corporate spirits of IBM and General Electric are palpably real and strikingly different as are the national spirits of the United States and Canada. The world is teeming with spirit. When institutions use their creative energy and power to advance the common good, they are fulfilling a divine vocation. But institutions, just like people, can become self-absorbed, can turn inward, can pervert the divine vocation into an idolatrous and insidious sinfulness. When they do, the power of the system sweeps up everything and everyone within its sphere of influence, and often those within its influence are not even aware. It's just business as usual inside the system. Walter Wink says, what people in the world of the Bible experienced and uh, experienced as and called principalities and powers was in fact the actual spirituality at the center of the political, economic, and cultural institutions of their day. What people in the ancient world experienced as principalities and powers was not demons and angels flying around floating battles. It was the actual spirituality of the center of the political, economic, and cultural institutions of their day. And so it is today. Principalities and powers are alive and well. They are the real demons among us. A system called racism will tell you that it exists no more. Oh, there's no racism in our culture, I've heard people say. We're way beyond that. Black people just need to get over it. Everyone has an equal opportunity. People of faith need to think again. While we have made great strides, we are as deeply divided by race as we have ever been, and the discriminatory and demeaning effects of racism still threaten to undo all of us. All of us. In a 1947 address to the House of Commons, Winston Churchill said, No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other forms that have ever been tried. You get that? The worst form of government except for all the other forms that have been tried. Democracy is a system, and it is fallen. If you have any question about that, you have been asleep at least for the last year. We are abusing one another, demonizing one another, breaking one another down in frightening, in a frightening, intensifying cascade of abusive rhetoric in the name of democracy. The last year may have exhibited the best of democracy and the worst of democracy at the same time, 
But until our governance can be shown to advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, there will be room for the church to name democracy for the power that it is and to call for its repentance. And the church is a system. The institutional form of a religion called Christianity, which is itself rife for misunderstanding and abuse. While we are naming the powers then, we need not overlook our own house, which has the power to change the world, but which is also always in danger of imploding on the weight of its own arrogance. God forgive us. The powers are good. The powers are fallen. The powers can be redeemed. So let us work by naming the powers that as the people of God we might be about the good work of transforming them. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you. Thank you.